Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you can turn to Numbers 25, Caleb has asked me to read uh, verses 1 through 9. They will also be up on the screen. And if you recall where we were last week in, verse, in chapters 22 through 24, God's people could not be cursed. They could not be cursed. Try as some may, they could not be cursed. And the story picks up in chapter 25. Let's read. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. May God bless the reading of his word. What a story in half a chapter. If I may, I would like to take you through a little reenactment of Caleb learning what he was supposed to preach on on September 12th, 2021. It looks something like this. September 12th, Caleb preaching, topic worship, figures. Numbers 25. Israel is in Shittim. People began to whore with the, okay. hang them in the sun before the Lord, stabbings with spears, plague kills 24,000 Israelites. Good, uh... Then I stopped for a long time and went, okay, David, why is worship the theme on this guy? Because <laughs> I definitely didn't put that there. Because uh, usually when I'm up here, we're talking about music or praise or expressions of praise or, or, or this beautiful, um, these beautiful themes of what it means to respond to God and his goodness and his beauty and his grace and his mercy. And it's not stories like the first half of Numbers 25. That is brutal. That is a 
brutal story. I'm Caleb, FYI, if you don't know me. We'll throw that in there. <laughs> and so Numbers 25, how does that connect to worship? Because I do trust my coworker to put in good themes and good topics to help me get on the right track. And so I just began to pray and study, and, and through the grace of God and the Holy Spirit just, just giving me understanding, there came this beautiful journey of what this meant for Israel, what this means for us, and how Jesus kind of fits into that context. Because worship is a, is a really big theme, right? Like, I don't think we as humans will ever have a full understanding of what worship actually is here on this broken world. And even then, in the new heaven and new earth, I'm still not sure we will know fully what it means to worship the perfect, holy, merciful, gracious creator of the universe. And so it's this very big thing, and then we take small ingredients here and there. But today, especially if you look, if you still have it open, verse 3 of that chapter, Numbers 25, so Israel yoked himself, and the Lord was, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. The Lord calls for them to be hanged because they yoked themselves to an idol, to a, to a, to a God that was not Yahweh, not the creator, not the one true God. And that word just could not get out of my mind. Yoked. Yoked. We see it throughout all of scripture in a few pretty key spots. And, and so I've called today yoked. If you're familiar with some slang terms, yoked also means to just get jacked out of your mind, just strong. And as much as, much as I understand that I do look like the prime candidate for teaching you how to become uh, a giant person who can lift anything, be careful how hard you laugh at that joke. Yoked in this context is what you see in this image here. It's a tool that they would put on cattle or horses to move forward and plow or haul something. It, it brought two animals to use their strength together to accomplish a purpose. And oddly enough, it's also a term, a yoke of oxen is one thing made up of two oxen, two becoming one, a pairing, a joining. And there's this really cool trend throughout scripture of how yoking and worship go pretty hand in hand when scripture says that someone yoked themselves to something or we are yoked to something or we're called to yoke ourselves to something. And so what we're going to look today is this, this whole idea throughout all of this is what we yoke ourselves to reveals what we worship and what we worship affects those around us physically, mentally, and spiritually. I won't have you put your hands up, but if I asked if you have ever experienced this truth in your life, I bet every hand in here would go up that either you or someone you know has yoked themselves to either something good or not good, and because they were so committed to that thing, so involved in that thing, it had an impact on those around as we talk about this, I want to keep fresh in our minds. What we yoke ourselves to is not necessarily a matter of whether or not we are saved, whether or not we are Christians. This is 
Israel, God's chosen people, right? Like, and yet they're yoking themselves to things far beyond what God would call them to. Um, things that kindle his anger and bring about these kinds of consequences. Yet it's still God's chosen people. And so, as far as I understand and have experience, we can yoke ourselves to things that God would not want us to be in. And we can still belong to him, but it's going to be a rough ride. <laughs> and it often is. And we're all this morning yoked to something other than what God has called us to. And the Christian life that God calls us to is this constant realizing of, okay, Holy Spirit, you've shown me I'm in this yoke. Jesus, free me from it. I want to come to yours. And we're going to explore that today. But before we do, let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your endless mercy, for your beautiful, wonderful, powerful name, that we can come to you with a childlike heart and simplicity, worshiping and praising our first love. And we can do it together. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that you would use me as your instrument, that the words that I speak would not belong to me, but belong to you. And that the beautiful truth of your word would just stir us up this morning, draw us closer to you, uh, and just, just inspire us and drive us to be more like Christ to those around us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for what you're doing here. In Jesus' name, amen. So Israel's context, I appreciate the small intro before scripture this morning. Uh, Throughout this whole journey, we've been in this for a while now, of Israel making their move, wandering, journeying towards the promised land, towards what God has called them to, and they always go off here and off there. But it's pretty clear in this whole story that spiritual, social, natural conflict is trying to tear Israel down every chance it gets, trying to stop Israel's progress every chance it gets. But warfare doesn't seem to work. Nature doesn't seem to be working. Curses don't seem to be working. It would seem, big picture, God's chosen people that he has sworn to protect and bring to the end are pretty, air quote, unstoppable. And the wild thing is, Israel is so close to the promised land in this story. In green is the promised land roughly, and that is where Israel is now, a few miles away. And I didn't realize this till looking through some of this stuff this last two weeks. This is the last year of the 40 years of wandering. This is the last of the 40 years of wandering. And they can figuratively, some people think literally, see the promised land from where they are right now. And then you get Numbers chapter 25. <laughs> and it's wild. We see this Overview. I'll give you a quick overview of the problems here, right? Israel starts to live near these people that they find very interesting and attractive, and they chase after them, and they're very, very immoral with them. And then like half a skip away from that is they begin 
getting down on their knees for idols and participating in sacrifices and feasts for gods that aren't real, which is like the number one of the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments that Israel got for them, <laughs> and it's just falling apart. In the commentaries I worked through this week, there is this theme of, of, of a smiling world. Sorry, we are more endangered by the charms of a smiling world than the terrors of a frowning world. We are more endangered by the charms of a smiling world than the terrors of a frowning world. And look at the consequences here for Israel yoking themselves to something other than their one true God. Right, we got hangings, we have stabbings, we have a plague out of nowhere that kills 24,000 people. Sometimes how scripture gives off its stories is pretty interesting, because you don't read about that plague anywhere until after it's already killed 24,000 people. And you're like, plague? What plague? Israel, a people under God's direct protection against any who would oppose or stand against them, is undoing itself in this story. Just undoing itself by their own choices. Undoing themselves by yoking themselves to what temporary, temporarily fulfills their passions and desires. It looked good, it felt good, it seemed good. And what do we see in what happens with Adam and Eve? And what happens over and over again through scripture, it seemed good to them, and they took of it. And the same thing is happening here with the Israelites, with these heathens. And we get a clear picture, a, a, a brutally clear picture here, again, of our main point, that what we yoke ourselves to reveals what we worship, and what we worship affects us and those around us physically, mentally, and spiritually. And, and this is not the point of today, but I think it deserves a slight highlight that you read through stories like this. And in our humanity, where we like to judge other people but what, by what we think is right, we look at this and we go, God's pretty harsh in this story. <laughs> like, they're just people. Like, they screw up. They make mistakes, right? We do. And yet God is here saying, hang them out in the sun before all of Israel. I'm going to bring this plague that's going to kill 24,000 of them. Hey, grandson of Aaron, go pierce those two guys in their stomach, those, those two in their stomach that came in here. And but we must remember, church, that God's wrath is in proportion to human sinfulness. That we don't get to decide what is just. We don't get to decide what is right. That's God's duty. That's God's job. And he's perfect at it. He's awesome at it. Even if from our perspective in this broken world, it seems out of proportion, it's not. So let's recall that today. Let's hold to that. It can be hard to read those stories. And this is a pretty huge idea that deserves like a whole sermon series on itself, the wrath of God. But attendance would probably begin to drop if we uh, decided to do a sermon series on that, as good as it is. So anyway, again, remember, Israel is so close Last year, geographically, they're close. Timeline-wise, they're so close. And this disaster they bring upon themselves. And we would never do such a thing, right? 
oh, we would never, ever find ourselves in a position like Israel's because God is so faithful to us and there are so many abundant blessings from him right before our eyes that are so close and we interact with and experience every day that we would never yoke ourselves to anything but God. If it's not clear in my tone, that is quite sarcastic and the opposite of the truth. But you know, Bible-believing, red-blooded Americans like us would never get down on our knees for an idol, a foreign god brought in by outsiders and heathens. We're much too smart for that. But substances, pornography, alcoholism, drug abuse, toxic relationships, political affiliation, entertainment, sports, games, our kids, their sports, <laughs> the things they do, false gospels that preach that either America is God's first priority or getting rich and being happy is all God wants for you in your life. We slip into those yokes pretty easy. those are the ones that are kind of easy to spot too. What about the lies that we believe that just cripple us? Like we need to be smart enough or skilled enough or put together enough or look good enough or say the correct things, act the correct way in order to be worth anything. We slip into those yokes pretty easy. And the same that was true for Israel is true for us, that what we yoke ourselves to reveals what we worship. And what we worship affects those around us physically, mentally, and spiritually. A little story from my own life. I've spent a lot of work this year. This is not unique to me, but 2020 was just brutal for a lot of people internally. Um, and my anxiety that I thought was bad in 2019 just like exponentially <laughs> increased through 2020. And so through this year, I've, I've, I've been blessed enough to work through some of this stuff with the Holy Spirit, with experts, with people that care for me, to really pinpoint some of the hidden stuff in my life that I'd never realized I was so yoked to. One of the huge ones for me is I am incredibly prone to believing that I am responsible for every person around me being completely comfortable all the time. You phrase it like that and it sounds crazy, but that is what I believe. That is, that is what my instincts tell me, and it's rough. Because clearly that's impossible. But in my brokenness, in my humanity, I think if I do anything or if I'm even around anything and I'm not able or I cause somebody to be uncomfortable, I'm not worth anything. I'm not, I'm not significant. I don't have a purpose because my only purpose, which is making people comfortable, isn't there. And that's like one of my 12 different things that I believe. I won't take up all of our time talking about me today, but 
the studies that have been done show that every person has 12 to 50 of those things that they think they need in order to be worth something, in order to be okay, that are lies. 12 to 50. And so we do, we, 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 we wander around, we yoke ourselves to this, we yoke ourselves to that. We know as good Christians, like maybe the extreme stuff that is clearly dangerous, we should probably stay away from, and yet we jump right into making sports our identity, or making our kids our identity, or making our political affiliation our identity, or all of these things that aren't God, we yoke ourselves to, and we act accordingly, and it leads us, if that's what we're yoked to, towards destruction. And yet in all that striving, in all of that searching, in all of that broken crying and yearning and climbing and digging for something to give us purpose and significance and fulfillment, I just want to be okay. I just want to have peace. There is this one still, small, gentle, but strong voice that calls us to something so much better. Next slide, Pat, if you will. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through thirty. You can turn there if you like. It's up here on the screen. This is Jesus. It's always important to consider the crowd scripture is speaking to when we read it. But Jesus kind of opens this up with a pretty broad inclusion of who this applies to. Come to me all, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Do you see that beautiful contrast from Israel's story of what they yoked themselves to? Our story of what we yoke ourselves to? And then in that sea of chaos, this one voice of Jesus that breaks through and calls us to a yoke that is unlike any other. And anytime you hear this scripture taught on. They always have to make this big statement to clear things up that easy doesn't really mean easy here because Jesus himself promises in other places that when you commit to him, things in this broken world are going to be pretty rough. And so I find it helpful that same word that Jesus uses here when he says my yoke is easy is translated elsewhere in scripture as kind. My yoke is kind, and my burden is light. And again, I said it before, but I want you to notice it. Verse 28, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to all who labor and are heavy laden. That transcends his immediate audience. That transcends time. Jesus is saying, if you are burdened, heavy laden, laboring, come to me, take my yoke upon you, 
and I will give you rest. The king and the creator of the universe, gentle and lowly in heart knowing what it's like to be fully human, knowing what it's like to have those instincts that the Israels gave into, knowing what it's like to have those instincts and temptations that we give into, yet he never did. It's not that he's clueless of what it feels like. He lovingly calls us into his yoke, a yoke that is kind, a yoke that leads us into rest and peace and fulfillment. And here's the sad part, Christian or not, we often discount that news as too good to be true. We tell ourselves these excuses and these explanations of why it's too good to be true, like I've yoked myself to so many awful things in the past that Jesus wouldn't want me in his. You don't know the things I've done. We say things We believe things like this yoke I'm currently in, I'm just too locked into. It's too heavy to take off and transition over to Jesus's. I'm too heavy laden, I'm too burdened, it's impossible for me to move to something better. Or we say to ourselves, I could never be good enough to share a kind, light yoke that Jesus offers. Share a yoke with him. Listen, if you've been a Christian for 80 years, or if you're not one at all, this news is not too good to be true. And I hope you're reminded or shown that this morning. Because if we tell ourselves that we've done too many awful things, our past is so dirty and so awful and so broken that Jesus could never call us to something better. He wouldn't want us there. He's not talking to me in that. Well, let's remind ourselves that Jesus knows every single thing you've been involved with in your past. Probably more than even you know about. (laughs) And yet scripture would prove to us from beginning to end that he genuinely, longingly still wants you in his yoke. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. If you know it, help me at the end. God shows his love for us and that while we were still what? Sinners. Still sinners. Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we tell ourselves that this burden is too heavy, I'm too locked into this yoke because man, does it feel like that sometimes. If you've put your faith in Jesus as your savior, the truth of it is you're not locked into any yoke. You might have it on. (laughs) You might be using the yoke, but you're not locked in, my friend. Romans 6, 6, our old self was crucified with Christ and the body of sin was brought to nothing. We are no longer enslaved to sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And if you're here this morning or you're hearing this online and you haven't put your trust in Jesus as your Savior, Let me tell you, there is not a single yoke with a lock strong enough that Jesus can't break it. Doesn't exist. 
Romans, we see again in chapter 5, verses 9 and 18, since we have been justified by his blood, by Jesus' blood. I'm sorry. I went a little too far. There's not a single yoke that Jesus, with a lock on it that Jesus can't break. And not only that, he's not obligated to do it. He's overjoyed to do it. And that last excuse that we give ourselves, that we say, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough to share a yoke with Jesus. Actually, that one, you're spot on. You sure aren't. And that's exactly why he died on the cross, to secure your rightful, fully justified place by his side in that yoke. Romans 5, 9 and 18. Since we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Sound familiar from our chapter this morning, Numbers 25? Because of Jesus' blood, we've been fully justified and saved from the wrath of God. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, referring to Adam, but you see the theme in that chapter this morning. So one act of righteousness, Jesus' act of righteousness on the cross, leads to justification for all men. So you're darn right. You are not good or worthy enough to share that yoke with Jesus, but he took care of that problem for you too. Ortland says this in his new book, Gentle and Lowly, I have a slide up here that's the beginning and end of the quote. I'll read more in between. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Sit with that just for a couple seconds with me. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. How anti-human <laughs> is that I need something to offer I need to give him something in return if you're burdened if you're heavy laden if you're laboring and struggling through this life there's your qualification nothing is required he says I will give you rest his rest is a gift not a transaction so whether you are actively working to crowbar your life into smoothness laboring or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, heavy laden. Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own desire for it. That is how much Jesus loves you and wants this for you. Jesus gently calls us warmly invites us to join him in a good yoke that leads to rest and satisfaction and fulfillment and purpose. My question to you this morning, this afternoon, is will you take him up on that offer, knowing that your burden is the thing that qualifies you to come? Will you take him up on his offer today? More importantly, will you take him up on his offer tomorrow when you find yourself in a yoke other than Jesus? Next week, next month, this afternoon, even if you decide to do it right now, this is not a one-time deal. 
This is the life of being a follower of Jesus in a broken world, in a broken body, is that we constantly return to his yoke. Because what we yoke ourselves to reveals what we worship, and what we worship affects us and those around us physically, mentally, and spiritually. Imagine the effect of being yoked to Jesus. If that statement I make is true, imagine the effect on you and other people if you are yoked to the gentle and lowly, passionate, loving creator and king of the universe. I do want to call you to action this morning on something that is not easy work, but I believe it's very important work to do, and that's working with the Holy Spirit and those who love you and even some experts, if your situation requires it, to externalize and confess the yokes in your life that you're either in now or prone to wearing. That is a very scriptural idea of these are my struggles, these are my sins, this is what I'm laboring for, this is what I'm carrying, this is what I'm burdened with, and scripture would never call us to sit in our rooms alone and struggle through it but to confess it and externalize it to those that love us, to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit's help in discovering what those things are is amazing. And the people that love you can maybe name things you can't. Name it and tame it is a powerful game when played alongside the Holy Spirit, when played alongside the people God has given you in your life. It helps us create this awareness of what we yoke ourselves to, and then repent of them, because what we yoke ourselves to reveals what we worship. And what we worship affects us and those around us physically, mentally, and spiritually. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy for me at least to forget how loving you are in that you would longingly call me to rest that you offer without me needing to trade anything for it. But you see me burdened and heavy laden, laboring. And your heart is just heavy for me, heavy for anyone in that position. And you generously and graciously call us to yourself Holy Spirit, I ask that you would begin opening our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the things in our life that we're prone to yoke ourselves to or even things we're yoked into now and that you would help us and you would stir up those close to us that love us to help us in naming those things, calling them out, turning them over to Jesus and stepping into his yoke that is kind and light. I praise you that we get to do this together as a church, encouraging each other, drawing closer to you together. I pray as we close now this morning that our, our singing would be glorifying to you. It would bless you. It would, it would delight you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.